There you have it. You are worth it all. Welcome, everyone, to the road to recovery. Uh, Tonight is Sunday, April 19th, 2020. And I'm alive and above ground. How about that? Isn't that incredible? And if you are listening to this, you, too, are alive and above ground. And that's a good thing. We're going to beat this coronavirus. I know we are. It's just another day. It's going to be another day in paradise. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, what a week. It's just been another incredible week, as always, because, you know, sometimes we don't know what to do with ourselves. You know, we're told to do nothing. I'm a real estate broker, and I have an essential job. And actually, in this last week, I've actually sold two properties. So good news, folks. People out there are out there buying homes, okay? And they aren't buying discounted you know, bottom-of-the-barrel homes. They're buying good houses, solid houses, paying fair prices. We'll get through this. We'll get back, and everybody will be employed. But, you know, what I hear things on the air, on the phone, I mean, in the news, where liquor sales are up 50%. You know, sometimes we don't realize the damage that we're creating in our lives, okay, where we're just saying, oh, we're just going to have a drink. Okay, one drink, and then one becomes two and two and on and on and on. Now, i got to tell you, let me tell you a little intro to the story and why we're doing this show. is Number one, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. That's correct. I have been sober, alcohol-free, for 24 years, seven months, and 19 consistent days today. Yay! You know what? <laughs> And I never set out to to reach that goal. I didn't. I just said, you know, first I didn't even want to do it. And I was scared and frightened and angry because, you know, what? I had to give up alcohol. But you know what? I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was finding problem after problem after problem in my life. And I had tried many ways and many different ways to <clears throat> fix the problems. But I never eliminated alcohol. In fact, when I went to counseling, it's amazing, because one of the things the counselor said to me is, uh, do you have a problem with alcohol? And I looked at him carefully and as, uh, you know, as, as, emotionally, as uh, emotionlessly as possible. I said, no, I don't have a problem with alcohol, because I didn't want him to, him to say, take alcohol out of your life. Take it out of the equation. I was so afraid. I put on my best acting face. And we got past that. And then we started talking about other things. And it always came down to everybody else was the problem. Not me. Not alcohol. But you know what? After my third, get this, folks, third failed marriage. Third failed marriage. After my second driving under the influence conviction. Actually, it was after my third failed marriage because driving under the alcohol conviction happened earlier. I was just getting my license back when I met my third wife. Somehow we we were drunk and disorderly together. We came together. It was crazy. It should never have happened. We 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 fell in love. We did. She was a, probably at that point the love of my life at that point. And I'll always be grateful to her because, you know what, Patty. Her name was Patty. Okay, and if it wasn't for Patty coming into my life, Okay, I would have been okay with how crappy my life was and blaming everybody and everything. And Patty came along, and, you know, I thought things 
could never get worse. I just I figured I was on the bottom going up. And Patty showed me it could get even worse. And she did. And it did. And my life went really in the toilet. Oh, my gosh. The smoke cleared. Patty had left. We we had decided that we needed to divorce. We weren't even married a year. And we in that year, I think we were together two or three months. It was crazy. And that's how life was. And I tried to do business back then. Unbelievable. And somehow we managed to. Isn't that crazy? I managed to do business. I don't know how. You know, that's one thing about alcoholics. We're very clever. We're very resourceful. We're very, There's a lot of great things about us. But you know what? The disease eats away to the point where we lose all that. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired, I dropped to my knees. I said, God, I can't take this anymore. Foxhole prayers, guys. Foxhole. I was praying, God, please take this away from me. I can't. And there was like a voice, and it wasn't a voice, but it was like my voice in my head going, well, maybe you're the problem. And I went, oh, God, yeah, maybe I am the problem. Maybe I have a problem. Maybe I have to let go of this alcohol, this, this grip I have on alcohol. How important was it in my life? that I had to have alcohol when the rest of my life was going in a crapper. You know, one thing today, we'll talk about it, you know, uh, shortly. I go, again, I just want to give you an intro why I'm doing this show, because this show keeps me sober. This show helps me in times like what's going on, when the world's a little crazy. This is my little, uh, you know, um, I, I, I recluse back to this, Two hours I spend with you intimately on the phone, on the internet. You know, it's not a it's not a closed meeting. It's a, it's like an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a, a person of yes, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And no, this is not a promotion for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is not a endorsed show for Alcoholics Alcoholics Anonymous. But I did learn in Alcoholics Anonymous a lot of things. And one thing is, I'm only as sick as my darkest secrets. And I need to talk about things that go on in my life out of my head. Because if I leave them in my head and I talk to myself about them in the silence of my own presence, you know, then they get really big and unmanageable. And isolating is the worst thing that we could do. And guess what? To, you know, we're told to quarantine. But see, we're told to physically, what is it called? It's uh, social distancing. Well, it shouldn't be social distancing as much as it should be physical distancing, not social distancing. You should be on the phone talking to people. I talked to people today. I talked to a gentleman this week about his drinking. I've known him for years and said to him, hey, is your drinking causing you any problems? And he looked at me like, God, where do I start? And we had a long talk for about 45 minutes to an hour. And you know what? When he walked away, because he was saying, you know, he was saying, thinking that he wanted to leave his wife of 20-something years. He goes, Dan, I don't love her anymore. I go, you know what? Who cares? You know, relationships aren't about love necessarily. That's how they're founded. But they're about mutual respect and wanting to, to support and help each other. And I said to him, I said, here's a woman that's stuck by your side, and you went through some crazy-ass stuff for over 20 years. I said, you know what? Maybe you should start treating her like the, the queen she should be for sticking by your stinking side. And when we were all done, I told him a bunch of other things and that and this, that, and everything. When he walked out, he goes, you know, the one thing that really impacted me was the part about the 20 years. I never thought about that, how she stuck by my side. He thanked me, and he walked out. Now, I don't know if it's going to affect his drinking. I don't know anything. But it doesn't matter. 
it reminded me that I need to go home and hug my wife and tell her I love her and let her know I'm grateful that she's my wife, for that matter. If you have a wife, go hug her. Tell her she's grateful you have her. And if you're not treating her like the queen that she should be treated like, you better get off your ass and start doing that. You know? I know, a totally different attitude. But, hey, listen, this week we are going to be talking about courage, okay? And joining me again this week, and I see him out there, joining me again is my very good friend, Lambert. Lambert, Hello. welcome to the show. Hey, hiya, Dan. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be back with you again. Well, speak loud so everybody wants to hear you, okay? Because, you know, you're coming in off the phone, and that's good. And I'll tell you what, Lambert, let me just give you a little bit of background on Lambert. Lambert really doesn't have a drinking problem. He doesn't have a drug problem. He has no problems as far as I know. He's a friend of mine. But the reason why I've asked him to join us on the show, and he was here last week, and it was a great, great, great show last week with my dear friend Cookie from Arizona, who was originally from Chicago and then moved out west. She had 31 years of sobriety, and... And Lambert, in conversations, he's known me for what? How long have you known me? 20 years? Yeah, I think it has been, Dan, 20 years. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great relationship. You're, you're a wonderful person. So <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun. <laughs> okay, here's the 20 bucks. Thank you. Thanks for the product. <laughs> That's another 20. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. you know what? I started attracting nicer people because I stopped doing the crazy stuff. And Lambert was one of the people I was fortunate enough to meet and make friends with. And we have had a friendship for a long time. He's never known me to drink, thank God, just like my wife, just like many people who have never known me to drink. And, you know, if they did, they might have saw a side of me that was very, yeah, it was rough. It was a very rough side. Now they get to see the better side of me because that's also a part of me, but I don't indulge in the, in the bad part as much or if ever anymore because then I'm, I'm not drinking. And, Lambert, you have always had questions and comments, and you've been very supportive of me over the years that we've known each other, and I like your refreshing questions. I like your, you know, what, here, tell us, Tell me, tell us, what you know about alcoholism at this point. What I understand, and this is maybe not correct because I've never, I've never read the book. I've never been in the program. I only know bits and pieces. Is that alcohol is an addiction, and it's often caused by issues or problems, personal, emotional problems that people have with someone they're close to or with their life in general, uh, with a a confidence or lack of confidence, uh, other things. And I think uh, the other thing I understand is that either an alcoholic is one who can't have a drink because it leads to the second and then the fourth and then the sixth and it it just blows out of proportion and they're right back where they came from or that's the danger of it is that they could swing back into it even though they could maybe at, at some point handle a 
a drink or two. It usually is disastrous for everybody around them. Um, as you've already mentioned, it probably wasn't a helpful thing in any of your marriages early on. And now you have the best marriage in the world, but alcohol is not a part of that equation. Remarkable. If you can get clean, you can get good. And I do have questions about things I don't understand, you know, um, how how people progress in it and how they stay in it, if it's an accident or if it's just, uh, I don't know, something to do. Uh, two of my childhood friends that were in my neighborhood I grew up with, they stayed in the small town I grew up in, and they both passed away from alcoholism in their 40s, which I think is horribly sad. Uh, one was 44, and I hadn't seen him for some time. It seemed whenever I came into town to visit, those guys were somewhere else. And I don't know for whatever reason if they were hiding or if they just were out partying or someplace where I wasn't going to be. One was 44 and the other one was 49 um, when they passed away. And I thought, wow, that's that's brutal. That's really harsh and hard. And I don't know if they knew that they were killing themselves or whether they cared. And I don't know what prompted it. I don't know whether it was an accident where they just drank and drank a lot and it's just become habit and they just kept doing the habit and didn't want to break that habit and 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 just went until the point where their body gave up on them or if there were issues that they were having problems with or dealing with on an emotional level or personal level or confidence level i mean maybe work was involved or lack of work i don't know there are a lot of things i guess it's a it's a whole uh whole array of different things that that uh you know can can become an issue for alcoholism and as a disease it's really important for people to recognize they have an issue and a problem and that they need help and that there are better days ahead if they seek that help because without it there's only one way they can keep going, and it's not a good way. It's a bad way. Well, let me let me jump in here, and you you said and shared some really good stuff, uh, Lambert. Thank you. First of all, um, this show is called the Road to Recovery. It's for anyone with any type of an addiction. It's not just for alcohol. It's not just for drugs. Then uh, there's different kinds of drugs. There's prescription meds. There's cocaine. There's heroin. There's even marijuana, now that it's legal, okay? Although I was I was commenting to my wife, I didn't see very many pictures posted or anything of people smoking marijuana. Now that it's legal, I, I thought it was going to be a lot more prevalent and obvious, and it's, it's not. Maybe I'm just not seeing or looking. But, you know, it, this is also a show for people with, if you have a sex addiction or you have a gambling problem. Or you smoke cigarettes. Maybe cigarette is an addiction to you. <clears throat> and, and again, I, I want to let you know that I'm not a therapist or a counselor, nor is Lambert, uh, as far as I know. And no, so no. these are opinions that we have. But I am a person in recovery, and I've been working my program very hard and strong for 24 years, 7 months, and 19 days. But who's counting? Me. Okay, because I count every day I'm sober. This show is a live show, and if you have a question, a comment, a thought, 
you agree, you disagree, you can call in. The number to call in is area code 323-580-5755. That's area code 323-580-5755. And, you know, make yourself known or just listen on, uh, you know, maybe it's an easier way for you to listen. Uh, on the air last year, last week we had a couple people that called in and were just listening. They did not want to participate. But if you have a comment or a question about the program, maybe you've had experiences with uh, drugs or alcohol or, you know, a good friend of mine had a gambling problem, still does, okay? She's attending Gamblers Anonymous. And I've got to tell you something, since she's been attending Gamblers Anonymous, she's not been gambling. But when she did, okay, she she really destroyed the future comfort level that she could have had in her life because she gambled away the nest egg that she and her husband, who are both retired now, had. Okay, yeah, she she gambled close to $450,000 away over a period of two years. You don't think that's a problem, and you don't think it was going through her head all the time she was doing it? She kept thinking she was going to win. She just had one more win, and she'd get the money back. She might have won some money during that time, which kept her going. Again, we talked about that. If I if I drank today and nothing happened, that's probably the worst thing that could happen. Because my sick mind, if I drank and it didn't, nothing happened, I think, well, maybe I could drink some more. Maybe I could have two drinks or three drinks, and the next time. Maybe I'll get behind the wheel and kill somebody in a car. And I don't want that to ever happen. Two DUIs was too, too many. And I probably could have stopped and, and been arrested for far more than just two. Okay? But I didn't. Oh, my gosh. I'll okay, tell you. Huh? What a, but I do want I to wait. Question. Before we get back to you. Wait. Before I get back to you, I want everybody to know that I don't have a drinking problem, and I never did. Okay, even though I'm an alcoholic in recovery, and get that, Lambert, you might be able to comment after I'm done with this. But I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a thinking problem. And you touched on some of the reasons why it could have happened, but there are people that had perfectly good lives growing up, and they had problems. The one guest we've had several times on the air, Angelia Bianca, she's, and she's public. She's a public figure. She wrote a book. She has come out about it. Her family are the owners, are the original founders of Gene and Jude's hot dog stand out in River Grove, Illinois. And they were very successful monetarily. Now, maybe they weren't home as parents, or maybe that was contributing part. She was raised by her grandparents. But she ended up doing prison time for robbing people and just because she could. She got into drugs, into alcohol, she got it all messed. But she had what a lot of people thought was a very you know, silver spoon in her life. So it doesn't matter where you come from. It's a thinking problem. And our best thinking got me drinking. My best thinking got me drinking. And I can't be alone in my head when I'm screwed up. And that's what I got help with. Now, my symptom of my drinking, of my thinking problem, my symptom of my thinking problem was my drinking. That's how I self-medicated. Some people do it with food. Okay, some people do it with sex. Some some do it with gambling. And, you know, I, I used to know a couple of professional gamblers. This young, other, another young lady, it was amazing, two, two women. The other one had lost 25000 30000 and then finally gave it up 
and got a job as a secretary, met a man, and is happy now. And she has given up, but she was her quest was to be a professional gambler. But she wasn't winning. She was losing. And most gamblers will tell you that they lose. Most of them will tell you that they lose. Most drinkers will tell you that it's money lost, time spent. Some people say, hey, I had a great time, you know. And then they got to explain why they were rude or ignorant to the boss, the boss's wife. Maybe they came on to the neighbor, the neighbors. You know, something like that. I don't have to explain and apologize for being like that. Now, if I did that today, I did it consciously without alcohol. Okay? But I don't want to do that either. Like Lambert was saying, I, I, I met a wonderful woman. I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary in May, May 11th. And June 11th is my wife's birthday. So she's going to have a birthday and a month after our... And, she she reminds me that I should remember those dates because, you know, those are important ones. <laughs> Forget about my birthday. Just remember those dates, the wedding anniversary and the wife's birthday. Hey, and that's okay. That's a good thing. In fact, I made lunch today, a late lunch. I barbecued, barbecued a bunch of food, and I even made breakfast this morning. So, you know, it's nice to be able to be part of a relationship and give back. And so there you go. Now, Lambert. Okay, do you yes, understand sir. that when we're talking about how it's a it's a mental disease more than it is a the physical addiction is there, but we can get past the physical addiction within, you know, if we abstain from drugs, alcohol for 30, 30 31 days something like that, give or take a few days. We can get through. That's why they have a 29-day um you know, when when you go into treatment, they say, hey, go for like 29 days or whatever it is. It's because you can break the physical addiction in that period of time. It's the mental obsession that we constantly have to work at to get better and to improve and, and so on. Are you following so? Yep. Okay, okay. Well, then, all right. I have a question that is a little bit different, a little scientific maybe, is – is addiction then because you've you've mentioned a broad course of addictions that can be many manifests of it is it is it a genetic inheritance or disorder well, is it something that is it, that's more likely for some people than other people the only ones that because i know they, that I, I i've heard are truly um predisposed to alcoholism and that's the Indian nation. I heard that they are very susceptible. But here, let me explain the show, and my here's my answer to that. Who cares? Okay. Okay. I, I'm not saying no, no, and, and we can explore it still and, and question. I'm just not a doctor, but it. I know that it affects a lot of people. Okay, we call it a disease of more. We want more of anything that makes us feel good. Look at the people in the stock market. How much money do you need to live happy life? And they, 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 they go more, and they go more, and they go more, and they want more and more and more. They want that. They want control. They, want, they think that, you know, they're going to have what? You know, look at one of the Koch brothers. I, I like to bring that up. The Koch brothers, a couple of the most wealthiest people in the world. Guess what happened within the last year with one of the Koch brothers? Do you know? No. He died. And oh. I did not see a trail of money leave with him to the afterlife. He's no. gone. 
he had all the money in the world, but he didn't live. <laughs> and what kind of life? I don't know, and I, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to judge anybody's life. You know, sometimes, and I notice that sometimes the most simplest, simplistic lives are the people seem to be the happiest. I've got a friend of mine who is is a non-citizen, legal status alien here in this country. He's Mexican. And i got to tell you something. He's got seven daughters. He's got one grandson he adopted, so he's got a son that he's he's adopted. So now he's got eight kids. They live very, very modestly, okay? They don't have big – but you know what? They get together. They, they, they do things together. They sing. They dance. They have a great, strong family relationship, and they're happy. I'm sure there's a, a bit of fear sometimes, like in times like this. Are they going to be able to feed their family? Are they going to find food, jobs, whatever during this period of time? But that's for everybody. But you know what? They don't let it stop them, and they don't drink excessively he drinks but not excessively i haven't seen him drink excessively but you know what amazes me too is how many people spend whatever money they have on alcohol and then starve you know there's a lot of homeless people out there wandering the streets yet somehow they manage to get enough money to get booze and get a little buzz I don't know. I don't understand. I I don't understand it anymore. I did at one time, but I'm so far beyond it. I, I want people to grow, but I can't fix them. They have to fix themselves. Well, you've mentioned that before, Dan. One of the primary uh, points of recovery is that you have to come to the point where you want to be recovered. Is that true? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. you gotta get okay. sick and tired. You gotta get the. You had to have to hit your bottom and say, "God, I can't take this anymore." I was too afraid to kill myself. I had three kids. I didn't think they deserved to have a father who who killed himself. I had uncles, an uncle or two that that off themselves because they couldn't handle whatever there was going on in their life. I don't know what it was, but they hung themselves. I've known a lot of people. There's been a lot of suicides. In this world, it's sad. There's too many suicides in this world. Our soldiers, PTSD, that's a, you know, it's out there. It's not just for people from post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not just for people in the war and fought battles. It's for anybody that's gone through a, a relatively traumatic thing. You know, you take a complacent, easygoing life and you, and you explode some emotional turmoil and it messes with their head. We, 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 you know, our brains can't always handle all that crazy stuff. And so, what do we do? We we try to uh, self-medicate. So we 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 deserve a drink. You know, what's one of the first things they do is say, "Hey, drink, take a drink, calm down." I'm watching, I'm watching reruns of Mash. Okay, the series Mash, and it's very entertaining. And it just amazes me how much alcohol. Uh, Hawkeye and Pierce, or whatever it is, Hawkeye and that's B- and BJ yeah. can consume, and it's homemade booze. Usually, that's even stronger. And and they're doctors performing duties, and yet they make it look like it's flawless. And in a way, it's 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 telling the world it's okay to drink. It's okay to drink to excess, 
because you could still do and perform your job and your duty. And I beg to differ. I don't know that you could do as good a job after having alcohol. Frank's such a pain in the ass on that show, but on one hand, he's got a lot of correct things. He just doesn't go about doing it right. And that sometimes his whining encourages people, encourages them to, to, to go the other way. Alcoholics are such stubborn people, but they have to find the path to recovery themselves. They have to want to look for it, Lambert. If they don't want to look for it, it doesn't matter if somebody keeps pushing it in front of them. They're not going to take well, the how, road. Well, if it's not a destructive obsession, let me call it that, then why would one ever want to change it? I mean, sex, sex addiction. Why would anyone want to change that? Yes, it probably is impacting a lot of emotion, a lot of families, a lot of other people outside of your realm. But, you know, if you get to the point where who cares? You know, you're enjoying yourself. You get that dopamine rush. You get that excitement. Uh, same with gambling. Hey, if you're, until you run out of money, you're a gambler. You're going to gamble. I, I, I guess, uh, you know, we're, how, do you con- how do you convince somebody that it re- truly isn't a, a, a mode of obsession where they truly enjoy it and, you know, it's, it's going to ruin people and others, but they don't really care? How do you get to the point of caring? Well, good. these are great questions, and that's why I'm so glad you're part of this show. It's number one, recovery is is not a program of attraction. It's a program of attraction, not promotion. So what, what, I'm, what I mean is, is that we don't run around telling people, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. Come on and get this, you know. What we're doing here on this show is not trying to promote to people to go track down and chase and find and and pull them in. But you know what? You could say, hey, there's this program where this guy who claims to have been a drunk and has turned his life around, and he's doing this show, and he's telling stories. He's not telling people what they should do. He's telling people what he did and how it worked for him and making some suggestions that they may want to do if they want something different in their life. It's sharing our personal experience, strength, and hope. Now, you brought up a really good thing, and, and you said, what if you're, you have a compulsion for sex and you're having sex, and what sex isn't good? But you know what? I've been there. In fact, I think my addiction was probably more sex-related, and it was the uh, alcohol that I used to get sex or to, to, to deal with my feelings when I didn't get sex or I wanted sex because I used it as a tool because I knew that women that drank are a lot easier to get along with than, than people, you know, women that don't drink. And I didn't have to consider their feelings when I drank. But when I sobered up, it would roar back to me that, oh, my God, that woman... I wanted to chew my arm off because I, I would never have climbed into bed with her sober. Anybody, you ever hear that? Hmm. Interesting. Where you wake up and you want to chew your arm off so you can escape and not you go, oh, my God, what, why did I have sex with that person? That's number one. Or number two, I really enjoyed it, and I feel an even closer bond to this person 
and they don't give a shit about me because all I was to them was sex. See, it's a very selfish thing, and alcoholism, let me let me help you with this, you know, because we have all these clever little ways that we remind ourselves. But alcoholism, the last three letters of alcoholism is I-S-M. And those acronyms that stand for I, self, and me. So our addictions, whether it's sex, whether it's beer, I mean alcohol, any kind of alcohol, drugs, it's a very selfish addiction. It, we care about nothing but ourselves. Imagine a gambler who says, hey, it's my money, I could blow it if I want to, but what about a family sitting home waiting for the money to, to pay the rent or food? What about the family back home that's waiting, if nothing else, to spend time with this individual and say, hey, Dad, can we play ball? Hey, Dad, can you read a book to me, a story? Hey, honey, you know, where are, you know you used to romance me and, 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 you know, before we got married and you don't want to spend any time with me. Why? You know, I wanted to come to the office today because I had to clean aquariums. I, 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 you know, I have to do maintenance. I have these big aquariums and, and the, the filters needed changing and the water needed some changing, etc. You know, but I, I needed also to spend some time with my wife. So, you know what? I said, hey, listen, honey, I'll try to get done when I can later. But right now, we need to spend some time together. And that's what we did. And it was a nice, comfortable time together. She went for a run. I made lunch. I, I grilled, barbecued. We enjoyed our company. We had breakfast together. I See, when I drank, I could give a shit whether I spent the time, whether I did any of this. I'd probably complain, oh, my God, again, this, I got to do this. It was all about me. It was about my needs, my interests. It was just about me. I didn't consider my wife. I had kids. I didn't consider my kids. I figured... This was, this was the sick mentality I had. And the sick mentality was, well, Dan, you worked hard, so you deserve to play hard. Did you ever hear that, Lambert? I've heard that, yes. And that's a bullshit thing. It really is. It's bullshit. If you work hard, good. That's what you're supposed to do is work hard. But it doesn't mean that you have to play hard. You're entitled to relax. But nobody says that you have the entitlement. If you have to work hard, work hard. And if you have to go back and work and work harder, then do it. And if you have a responsibility, if you made a commitment to somebody in a marriage, <coughs> if you went as far as having children, spend time with them. And I didn't. I thought that was the wife's job. Take care of the kids. You know, when I came home, I was a king. And oh, my God. You know. I, I, that's why you're laughing. Did you ever experience that I, in your life? I have, or? I have another what? question. Okay. What? Well, I, I have another question, if you don't mind. Uh, all right. So, if, if recovery is a very, if if, if isms are a, a selfish uh, action, then to recover, you have to change that selfishness by either removing it or becoming outward or more empathetic? Is that part of the recovery, is getting Absolutely. away from selfishness? Well, we, when we recover, again, it's like peeling back an onion. What do we know about an onion, Lambert? 
What do we know? Lots Tell me anything, and everything you know about an onion. <laughs> well, it's got lots of layers to get down to the core. And, you know, each one can be a little bit tougher than the, the one before or the one after. You're right, and it's but layers. It's getting to your you soul, You pull back a layer, right? and there's another layer, right? And it yeah. takes a while to get to the core. You know, it's just like how many licks – I'm laughing because I had this conversation with my wife. How many licks <laughs> does it take to get to the, the, the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? Well, I never – could figure that out because I'd get two or three and then I'd eat the damn thing because I wanted a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> but, you know, on my and what's funny today is I have, uh, I, when I take, I, I'm walking two miles a day. I, I'm Yeah, congratulate me. I've made it a way of life. I, I have these mental conversations with myself, talking, trying to talk myself out of it, especially this last week. It, it snowed twice and I still went for my walk and you know, I would have talked myself out, oh, it's snowing, don't go. But you know what? I said, you know what? I, the results I like. I just need to do the work. So you can't get the results without doing the work. And 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 that's – so we say the word we, – we have a phrase that's called progress, not perfection. Okay? We want to get better. We sincerely want to get better. The problem is we tell people don't get too well, don't get too well, because guess what? When people think that they're too well, they think, oh, well, I, I, I'm over this. I recovered. I don't have to worry about I can go out and drink again. And maybe they could. Nobody's stopping them. But they may, all the problems of the past may come back. And I've seen it happen. I'm not saying it will, but I have not, and I don't know anybody that has ever um, clarified or pointed out to me that they escaped all the problems of the world after they went back out drinking. So I don't want to find out. I don't want it to happen to me. Even if it could, I don't want to find out that it won't work for me and that I would welcome all those problems back because I don't. I'm, I, I have a chance. I'm talking with my daughters. My son, I don't know. I don't know what's up with my son, but oh well. You know, I'm glad he quit drinking. Maybe it's part of his journey. And again, just because I've got it doesn't mean that, you know, it's all better. Just because my life is sober now doesn't mean that everything is, is perfect. But it's 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 better than it ever was. And those things that I need to work on, I'll continue to work on the best I can. And it's usually I got to get out of my own way because I'm usually the biggest problem in all of this. And key thing, sober, is I am only, only responsible for my actions. Okay, I need to keep my side of the street clean. I can look over at your side, Lambert, and say, "Oh my God, look at that mess that guy's got over there," but it's none of my business. Unless Lambert calls me up and says, hey, Dan, uh, you know, I'm having some problems here on my side of the street. Could you come over and help me? And if you said that, I'd be like, sure, I'd be glad to. But if not, I'm not going to yell across the street, hey, Lambert, you missed the spot. Lambert, we'd be going, mm-hmm. hey, screw you. Focus on your life. Leave mine alone. So, no, it doesn't come overnight. It's, a pro- it's progress, not perfection. But as I was telling this gentleman the other day, this I see miracles in this program all the time. I was doing the open speaker meeting at the club that I'm a member of, okay? 
And, you know, I actually pay dues to keep the, the doors open, et cetera, right now. I don't know what's going on. But I paid my dues anyway because, hey, I can afford them, and I'm going to pay them. Hopefully the club will open up. But I was doing the Saturday night, Saturday night chairperson of the um, open speaker meeting. This is where anybody can come into the club and listen to somebody tell their story. Otherwise, the meetings are closed, and, and they are limited to people – that have a desire to stop drinking, okay? That's really the, the criterion. If you don't have a drinking problem, we, we really don't want you to come in there because it's, it's really for people with a the, with the drinking problem. And that's why drug meetings, the meetings for, um, for uh, narcotics or heroin anonymous, the same thing. They don't want you coming in if you've never had an addiction to heroin or narcotics because you won't understand what's going on. And and that's the thing that makes these groups so special is people do understand what's going on. But an open speaker meeting, anybody can come. They can ask questions and make comments. And I was doing these meetings, and I met this one guy who was really, really angry. He he was there and after coming every week, and sometimes he was drunk. Nobody said a word to him. I mean, we said hello and welcome and... You know, but then he run out the door after the meeting. Well, he stuck around a little time, and we got to know him a little better. And, and it turns out that he was in the meetings by court order. Court said, hey, you need to attend so many meetings because, or we're going to put you in jail. He was, um, he was uh, in front of a judge because of uh, spousal abuse. He was, uh, he was being mean to his wife, and she wanted a divorce. They were married for 25 years, and she was she had enough. She said, no more, that's it. He was literally months away from a divorce. He had been living out of the house for six months at a going to an anger management program, and he started attending AA meetings, the closed, uh, open speaker meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was convinced that his life was over, that his wife was gone, that he had lost everything. And I'm going to tell you, I'll speed it up to today. That was about five or six years ago. I'll speed it up to today. That guy, the last time I saw him, probably six months ago, walking hand in hand with his wife, in love like they never were, like like they were first kids. They did not get divorced. They are still married. He's sober for four years, five years now. And enjoying a life like he could not have imagined. And that's one of the miracles of this program. Okay? And that's what I told to this guy the other day. I told him the same story. I didn't tell him to quit drinking. I said to him, work for this guy. You know, maybe a suggestion. Maybe you want to think about it. He said, well, you know what? When we don't, when I don't drink, we fight. When I drink, I fall asleep. I pass out. You know, again... I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, but I've seen that situation. And a lot of there are people that prefer their spouses under the influence because they're much more manageable. You know, Steve, my friend Steve, you know Steve, right? He yes. the two mm-hmm. of you doing it yeah. for my wedding. Steve was drunk for forty something years of his life, his married life. Okay? He worked and then he he drank. He didn't remember a whole lot of his marriage. And when he sobered up, 
he found out that his wife was taking care of everything financially, and he didn't like that. And he wanted to take it back, and she didn't like that because she was afraid. She didn't know what this guy was capable of doing. Not today. He's a very supportive husband, great guy. He's always been a great guy. And someone I consider a good friend. And he's taking care of his wife, who's got some, you know, health issues. It's a turnaround in in ways, miracles you, you never would have imagined. That's the beautiful thing. Let go, God. You know, you have to have a faith in a higher power. A lot of people say that the disease of any type of an addiction, drugs, alcohol, is a soul sickness. It is an absence of a higher power in the sense of God and and the hope in that higher power. If you don't believe that there's life after death, a lot of people have no reason to live because they go, well, what's the big deal? I'll live a reckless, crazy life. I'll go crazy and it's over and I don't have to worry about it. But if there is a chance that there's life after this life here on earth and there's life beyond hey, I want to be part of it, man. And I do believe it's there. And so with that in mind, I have worked at, I'm not going to tell you I have anything great and exciting, but I'll tell you what's a whole lot better relationship with my higher power, who I call Jesus, God. And I'm going to keep working at it because when I do work with that faith in a higher power, my life gets better. I have a question. Okay. How does courage get involved in one's road to recovery? Does it matter? Does it help? Is it a significant thing or not? Well, describe courage. You, you Give me a definition yeah. of courage first. You, you brought oh, them up. Boy. I, I have them right here, actually, somewhere that you, uh, you were kind yeah, of. Yeah, there's a to... definition. I don't have my paper. I don't have any. Definition of courage. Me, but... Let me read it. This is from Lam- Lambert. Look this up, okay? And, uh, all right. Well, here's the question, and then I'll give you the definition. It, it ties in so I can read it. I have a hard time understanding why people who know they have a serious harmful addiction won't follow through with AA or counseling. They say they will attend, then back away at the last minute. Is it a lack of courage or an amount of fear? Please guide my understanding. And and I'm reading correspondence you gave me. I have no idea where this came from, so I don't know who to give credit for or attribute this to, but let's read it. It says, definition of courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Courage, metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, metal, spirit, resolution, tenacity, mean mental or moral strength to resist opposition, danger, or hardship. Courage implies firmness of mind and will in the face of danger or extreme difficulty. Well, you know what? What it meant to me is that I I accept that I had a problem. That was what really I needed courage to do. I didn't have the courage to kill myself. Because I didn't want to face the responsibility for all my actions. I didn't. I, I didn't want to look at the, the, the wreckage of the past. Three failed marriages, my family, they're looking at me. I have 12 brothers and sisters, and at that time, two parents. Well, my, one passed away already. My father passed away. 
But my, you know, two parents, or one parent, my mother, and they weren't talking to me because they all said, you're you're messed up, you're a loser. And I was, I was a loser because I lost my wife, I was losing my job, I lost my driver's license, I lost my car, I lost all my money, I lost my morals, and, and you know, on and on and on. Yeah, I was a loser, a definite loser. You know, it's the funny thing, they talk about, you know, country songs, okay? When you show, when, when you're drinking, you know, you hear the song about, well, I was drinking, and it took the rest, the best parts of my life. It took my money, it took my wife, my dog left me, and I lost my driver's license, and now I'm sitting by the side of the road trying to figure out what to do with my life. That was the, that was the song that I sang. But when I sobered up, they played the song in reverse. And it, it came back, and I go, I got my life back, and I got a job, and I've got some money, and I got a dog, and my driver's license is back, and I'm driving around, and guess what? I found myself a wonderful woman to make my wife now. And there you go. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It, it, it was like, playing the song in reverse, it all came back to me because I stopped <laughs> drinking. And courage, was it courage? You know, I don't know if it was so much it was courage, a... but fear that I would have more of the crap that I was going through. You can call it courage. People, you can call it whatever you want. I reckon You know, a rose by any name is still a rose, but, you know, I just, I was sick and tired of all the bullshit I didn't want any more of that crap coming back into my life. And guess what? When I quit drinking, a lot of it didn't come back. Some of it did because, you know, I still had to change my playgrounds and my playmates. And that was a hard thing, too. I had to say goodbye to some of the people that I thought. See, here's the, here's the other part of that. Okay, Lambert, I know that you're my friend, and if I needed your help, I'd say, hey, Lambert, could you help me? And if you had the capacity to help me, you would, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And vice versa. But when I drink, yes. I associate it and, and attribute it. Anybody that smiled at me, that said a kind word, or some, even if they didn't say a kind word, if they were sitting there at the bar with me drinking or whatever, I'd say, hey, that's my friend. And I had no idea what a friend was. I learned that they were acquaintances. They were not friends. In fact, I learned that I had a whole lot of less friends than I thought I did. And I, I learned the hard way after I sobered up because I needed help. And guess what? Those people could give a shit about me. Okay? None of them came out and said, hey, Dan, I see you struggling. You want some help? They're like, ah, well, you're a loser. You, you go to that AA you got a problem. Yeah, well, they did too, but that's not my problem to worry about them. I just had to worry about me. But again, what kept me in there was the fear of going back out. Call it courage. Call it fear. Call it whatever it is. Now, here's a quote that you gave with me. Brand thought about it. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? That is the only time a man can be brave, his father told him. Interesting, and that's from the Game of, of Thrones. Fear and courage are brothers. 
<laughs> proverb. And I didn't read any of this before I'm talking about this, Lambert, so that's kind of funny that this is so tying into what I just was talking about. My fear was my courage. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Nelson Mandela. There is no living thing that is not afraid when it faces danger. The true courage is in facing danger when you are afraid. And that's uh, L. Frank Baum, The Wizard of Oz. And one more. Courage is about doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. Have the courage to act instead of react. Oliver Wendell Holmes. I, I commented, what, last week or something? I was in bed with my wife. I woke up about 2 in the morning, and I could have swore somebody walked into our house. And i got to tell you something. I am mad. I instantly froze in, in bed. I was frightened. Here I am, 63 years old, and I'm frightened. And I, I almost bumped my wife and said, go, go see who it is. And I went, wait a minute, I'm the husband. I'm the guy that's supposed to go do this. So I yelled out, who is it? And my wife's like, what? And then I said, Dan, got to get up. I'm talking to myself. And she's like, what? I just relaxed. And I got up and went out and looked. And I was like, I would have been clobbered. I would have probably been killed. But you know what? I did manage to get out there. And I, if, if I told you I wasn't afraid, I'd be lying. I told her I was scared shitless. I did not piss my pants, though, thank God. But I was pretty frightened. And there was, it was nobody. There was nobody there. There was nothing happened. It, it could have been just my dreams have been pretty intense lately. <laughs> Maybe it was just that. But that was a big thing for me to go out and do that as compared to when I was a child. And my fears froze me in place. I could not move. When my dad screamed and yelled and, and, and became violent, I was horrified. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want him to even know I was existing, that I, I lived. I wanted to stop breathing so he couldn't even hear because he had these incredible ears. That's how afraid I was. I'd stop and hold my breath. And to this day, Lambert, I have a, a breathing problem. I, I, I have, a, what do they call that, um, uh, sleep apnea? I have it during yeah. the day. I hold my breath. It's because that's how I learned growing up. Hold your breath. I ran cross country. They said, you don't breathe right. And I go, what do you mean? They go, well, you, you, you got to breathe in and out. You hold your breath. That's what I learned when I was a kid, out of fear. Courage means I just keep functioning. I get up off the ground and I keep going. Hey, I want to remind everybody, it's 8 o'clock. We've been on the air for an hour. And I want to remind everybody, this is a live broadcast. I'm hoping that you're enjoying this. I'm enjoying it. You know, that's the most important thing that I'm enjoying. Are you enjoying it, Lambert? Yes, yes. It's always insightful. And, you know, I I appreciate learning more because I'm inquisitive. Well, you know what? I think as we go forward, we're going to see more and more mental health problems. You know, I never thought, you know, I was one of those that said, ah, drink, you know, I was one of those, ah, bullshitters. That's bullshit, mental health. No, no. But the more I go forward, the more I realize these addictions are mental health-based. And we need to have some treatment, mental health. And after this quarantine and after what we're going through, the fears of food insecurity, et cetera, there's going to be a lot more mental health problems. And hopefully people won't wrap themselves up into drugs and alcohol because that will physically addict, you know, physically hurt them. 
Uh, gambling will, will hurt you as well. There's not too many addictions that don't hurt you, even working. But working, you make, you know, you're, you, you have a job. You just have to make sure you make time for your family and friends. But that's why alcoholics and drug addicts will say that they're grateful recovering alcoholics or addicts because if their lives weren't spun out of control because of the drinking, where, you know, you get arrested for drunken disorderly or DUIs and, and you manage to not get in an accident, you, you, you become aware that you have a problem. And once you stop drinking, you, you have to recognize that that problem isn't gone. It's just a symptom. It's like when, when you take medication from the store and you're fighting a cold, you're not fighting the cold with antibiotics, only if you are fighting it with antibiotics. But what you're fighting is the symptoms of the cold to go away. You're trying to get the sniffling and, the, and all the dry up so that you don't have all those. But you're still inside. Your body is struggling to battle that bug, whatever it is inside of you. And, you know, that's what I have to do is continue to battle that bug that's inside of me. So reminding people this is a live show, you can call in area code 323-580-5755 and join Lambert, my friend Lambert and I, as we continue to talk about, we're going to talk about courage. Last week we we left off talking about courage and we also enjoyed our special guest, Cookie, who recently celebrated 31 years of being clean and sober. What an achievement. Really, that's incredible. And the best thing about her achievement is that she did it one day at a time. That's correct. She never set out to stay sober for 31 years, nor did I for 24. I never even thought I'd be alive to this day, seriously. Sure, she hoped after all the craziness of her life from the drugs and alcohol that she could get and stay sober forever, that was not her conscious goal. Just to make it through the the day she was in, and she left the results up to her higher power, and it worked. Okay? So regardless of holidays, regardless of events going on, I, sh- I, I host this show every Sunday because what's important to me is to stay sober. That's the only thing i got to do perfectly every day is to not drink. If I don't drink, I have hope. Doesn't mean I'm going to have a great day. Doesn't mean I'm going to not screw it up. But there's less chance of me doing that. And if I do make a mistake, I usually can recover a lot quicker if I'm behave, you know, if I'm, I'm working this program of, of staying sober. So that's the reason why I continue to do this and continue to work the program one day at a time. So we welcome you to join us again here, or you can email me at Daniel D A N I E L at D-A-A-R-E dot com. And if I you have a question, a comment that you want to make or share or whatever, send it to me. If you have a joke, I'll listen. And you have some good alcoholic jokes. I'm on Facebook, okay, a lot. And it's funny because I, I repost a lot of things that people send me. And I know that some people are amazed that I post a lot of things about alcohol that I find humorous. And it's not my job to police everybody and to walk around like, oh, you know, I'm the uh, alcohol police, because I'm not. I'm a human being. I just know that I don't want to put alcohol into me because it's not good for me. It's just like I wouldn't drink battery acid because it ain't good for me. Okay, or or uh, what is that, uh, antifreeze. They said that tastes sweet. It's not good for you. It'll kill you. I know for me that alcohol will kill me eventually if I start to drink it. I don't want it anymore. I have a great respect for it. But 
it is part of our lives, and other people can. It's not my business to police them. I'm not going to run around and encourage it and tell them, hey, have a beer, have a beer, if I know they can't handle it. But I'm not there to tell people what to do, and just like it's not their responsibility to police me and to, to worry. That's my program. I have to make those choices, and I have to live with the consequences or the benefits of those choices. And I'm enjoying the benefits. I've had the consequences. I don't want them anymore. I keep reminding myself. That's why I stay close to the program and close to people that need help because they remind me of the tough times I had before. I don't want to go through them. I'm glad it's them going through them, but I really don't want them to even have to go through them. you know what I mean, Lambert? Yeah, yeah. It's it's tough, and uh, yeah, you're you're on the better side of helping others. You you've been through so much yourself. I think that's really effective. It, when the program has sponsors and that companionship, that connection, that's a good uh, way to get help people get through. Well, it's a we program. In fact, I always remind people when people ask me, you know. Uh, about the program. And I have people that question me. During the week, I, I have, I'm going to tell you, the most important thing I have to do every day is to stay sober and carry the message to whoever needs it. I put that even before my job sometimes, uh, if uh, when, when possible. Let me just put, when possible, because I have a responsibility to people that work for me and my wife to earn a living, but when I can take time out and help somebody, I will. Okay, so that's the, you know, the first and foremost uh, important thing. Now, oh, I was going to say something and I forgot. My brain just went dead for a second there. What were we talking about? <laughs> well, sponsorship and helping others. Oh. You know, dropping what you were doing to, to yeah. make sure someone else is seeing through their, their responsible path. Well. The first word, that's what I was going to say. What is the first word of the 12 steps? Do you know what's the very first? We said this last week, but what is the very first yeah. word of the 12 steps? Do you remember? Yes, I do. We, as opposed to ism. So there's an opposite. Instead of the I, self, me, it is we. Yeah, it doesn't say I. Uh, you know, uh, I admitted that I had a problem with alcohol. My life was unmanageable. No, it, it's not like that. It's we admitted we were, uh, we admitted we were powerless over, and then whatever your disease, drug, whatever it is, we admitted we were powerless over and that our lives had become unmanageable. And so it's already starting out letting you know that it's a we program, that you don't have to do it alone unless you want to do it alone one day at a time. And I tell you what, there are many times I needed help getting through getting through, you know, life, okay? Because if I didn't, I I would have been crashed and burned. I'm just going to tell you, I would have been a mess. And I'm just glad that I had a we. You know, I had a sponsor that was there to help me and totally grateful that she was there. I'm really totally and grateful did. that she it it did take you several attempts, didn't it, Dan? I mean, this doesn't happen on the first go. Well, part you know what, of the that's interesting, that, that's interesting that you would ask that, okay? Because when I when I finally went into AA and said I I needed help, I got it and never went back out again. 
so I did get it the first time when I went in and said I really had a problem. I went in, not went in necessarily, but I was chasing my wife at the time, and I wanted her, and so I went into these meetings with not the interest of getting help, but just the interest of getting her. How's that for us? <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you so, both, you know, if you both were helped by it, I guess it ultimately turned out well. If we both what? I'm sorry. If, if you both, if you both were benefited by it, I guess it turned out well. Well, again, I don't know what how her life is going. You know, um, I, I talked with her probably well, three, four years ago. We stayed in touch, sort of, kind of. It was better not to to uh, stay in touch with her because it, it just wasn't a healthy relationship, and it brought back too many memories, okay? And one of the steps of the program is, um, you know, continue to take personal inventory when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. Uh, wait, what was number nine? got to go back to, see, even I forget these things. You know, made a list of all the people we we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And except when to do so would injure them or others. Okay? Marie made direct amends to such people whenever possible. That's step nine. Except when to do so would injure them or others. You know what? The best amends I could do with my ex-wife, Patty, and her family was to stay away from them because there was just, you know, again, there was alcohol, there were other issues that were impacting their lives, and, you know, it's nothing that I would do could make it better. They didn't even want to know. <laughs> they could care less whether I was sober or not. They just wanted me far, far away from their, their uh, from Patty. And so they, like, sucked her back in and, I was happy. She was safe, being cared for. Um, whether her program's working, it's none of my business. I, I wish her well. And we talked over the years. I know that she was in and out of the program for a while, and but she was still alive. And anytime you're alive, you got hope. So I was, you know, hoping she's staying alive and going further. You know, um, she she was great. I I really loved her. I still do. I I, I will love her forever. She was just an incredible person. It's just that it was better to love her from a distance. From a distance, the world seems mm-hmm. like my dear. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, you here, there was an article I wanted to read this. This is from Mothers Against Drunk Driving, sent April 16th last week. And, um, you know, my, my oldest daughter, Jessica, turned 43 on the 16th. So happy birthday, Jess. I love you. My mother turned 91. I thought she was 94 or 93. So she turned 91 uh, on the 17th. And I think she shared the same birth date as my ex-wife Patty um, on the 17th. Her and my mom had the same birthday. So Patty's birthday was on the 17th of April. And happy birthday to them all. My mom's laying around wanting to die. They don't allow anybody to come visit her. She's in assisted care. And she's she's old and tired, but she, she's still healthy, and that's the, the thing. She just doesn't want to be around anymore. 
and she can't have visitors, and when she does, she doesn't even remember them, but oh well. But I received this from Mothers of Drunk Driving, and it goes, Dear Daniel, Casey was an honor roll student who loved music and sports, a good kid by all measures. So when Casey found the liquor bottle her son had hidden away in the garage, she threw it out without a conversation. A few months later, Casey was dead from alcohol poisoning. Debbie feels like she never conveyed the right message to her underage son. All month long, our Power Talk 21 initiative is providing families with our Power of Parents guide so more parents have the latest information for these difficult conversations about underage drinking and marijuana use. Okay? Um, That's simple. Okay? Uh, Here's another more hopeful stat. 74% of teens say their parents are the biggest influence on their decisions to drink underage. That means it's up to you, me, and all parents to have the conversations we can keep our sons and daughters safe. Now, in the course of doing my job in real estate, Lambert, I run into people, and I had a call from a, a, a lady that wanted to sell her house last week, okay? And I listened to her tell me that she didn't have a lot of equity in the house, that she wanted to do it by herself because uh, she wanted to save the brokerage. She didn't want to have to pay a broker to do it. And, uh, you know, and in listening to her, there was something that was drawing me to her. And she was calling about a house, saying that she wanted to to look at a house, and told me what she was looking for. And the house that we had, she was concerned that it might be the one that that would work if she could sell her house. And it's a very complicated thing these days to sell houses and to buy another house. It's not that easy, especially even with a realtor. But without one, it's even worse, unless you are very uh, knowledgeable and, and, and et cetera. And I, it was clear for me to realize this lady did not have what it, it really took to do this. Could she do it? I think anybody could sell their own house. I think anybody could buy a house without a realtor. Could they do it the right way? Could they handle the problems and challenges that come up? I would venture a guess, no. I would venture a guess that that problem issue could cost you, your family, more money, more, more, more grief, strife than paying the small amount of money that a, a real estate broker would want. In fact, any professional for that matter, whether it's a, uh, a restaurant to prepare your food, uh, an automotive mechanic, a mechanic to fix your car, you know, uh, going to a doctor, go to somebody that's certified because it's, it's good to know you have somebody that's knowledgeable and experienced helping you. So I said, listen, I'd be glad to come out for free, discuss what you're doing, explain the process, give you some ideas, numbers of your house, and if you need my help, you want it, you can hire me. If not, it's okay. So I went to meet this lady. Here's this woman, 76 years old. Her husband's 79, in really good shape, too, the 79-year-old husband. And the mother, you could tell life was wearing on her. She was, she was getting tired. Sweet lady, but getting tired. And she explained what she's got going, all her issues, and I don't want to get in personal about that, but what she did tell mm-hmm. me, the reason why she wanted to sell this house and get another one is that so her daughter would come out of her room and go outside. She wanted to walk out basement so the daughter didn't have to walk through people to go outside. I'm like, what? The daughter, so when they took me, walked me through the house, 
They didn't want me to see her daughter's room because the daughter didn't want anybody to come in. The daughter had been hit by a car and supposedly paralyzed from her legs down, I guess. Okay? And she was very angry, and she was isolating, and she was barking and and yelling and screaming and, and just was very, very angry, probably very frightened because now her life was adjusted by this accident. And the mother, feeling some overwhelming guilt, felt that she needed to, to fix it, to do something for this daughter. Now, the daughter was, I'm guessing, in her mid-40s. I don't know the age of the daughter. And it turns out they have a son living there at the same time. Okay? And the son, she says, has a, he's uh, got a bipolar issue problem. Okay? And so I said something simple. I said, well, does he does he drink? And she says, no, 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 my son doesn't drink. But he does take drugs. I go, what? Yeah, she goes, he, yeah, he does various drugs. <laughs> I'm like, well, why is he staying? In, does he pay you rent? She goes, well, no, no, he doesn't pay rent. I'm trying to help him get on his feet. And he doesn't pay rent. He does have his own car, and he has a motorcycle. And I'm like, how old is this kid? And this guy's like 45. He might even be listening today. And if you are listening, I'm going to tell you, you deserve to, your mother, you should give your mother some money. And I said, and he's not giving you any money? She goes, no, no, I want to help him. I go, what help are you giving these kids by keeping them from being responsible, by allowing them to treat you like this? I mean, if you were around, where would your daughter be now? She goes, well, I don't know where my daughter would be. And what about the son? I don't know. But they're letting the two kids live with them. It is creating a problem for her financially because they don't have a lot of money. They eat their food. They they consume you know heat, electricity. They have their the things. I don't even know if she's paying their phone bill or whatever. But she says we don't have a lot of money. We we're hoping to cut back and save some money if we got a different house. And I looked at this house and. The house that they were living in, she fixed it the way she wanted to. She's got a, you know, all the the mechanics are sound. She really loves this house, but she would give it up for her kids who are ungrateful, who are selfish and self-centered and have contributed nothing to her, and they don't care whether she can financially afford it or not. Nobody stepped up and said, hey, Mom, let me help you. And the husband's going, I told her, I told her, I don't know if they're his kids or whatever, but he keeps going, I keep telling her about that, but she doesn't listen to me. And I said, so what do you hope to accomplish? She goes, well, I want to get a, a ranch so she come out. I go, does she come out of her room now? She goes, no. I go, you think she's going to come out if you have a, a walkout basement? Probably not. Okay? So and I said, and you know, do you realize what it's going to cost? It would cost her a lot of money to sell her house, to downsize, not a, not let alone the cost of moving expenses, the stress and everything that it put on. It's a lot of work. And they don't want, the daughter doesn't want anybody coming into the room to see it. And I said, well, how is people going to want to buy your house if they can't even go into the house? Plus, there's another thing. There's two dogs in the house. Mom has one that she really likes. It's this little dog that just continues to yep, 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 yep. Okay? 
And the other, the, the son not only has a, a car, a motorcycle, but a dog in her house. Don't get it. I said, do you ever hear of tough love? And then we're talking about this. She never talked about the, the, the underage drinking and the kid dies of, you know, uh, alcohol poisoning. Well, she, she goes, well, I'm afraid to tell him. I go, what are you afraid of? Well, they won't like me. Who cares? Tell them to leave if they don't like it. Tell them to go live on their own. Well, they couldn't do that. Well, then they better get in line. I said, give, <laughs> make them give you $50 a month. And I said, and give up the thought of selling your house. I was so proud of the fact that I talked her out of selling her house, Lambert, because that would have been the wrong thing to do. I could have done it, put her in the, watched her go through all this craziness. Could she have done it? Probably. Would that have been the best thing for her? Hell no. There's so many other reasons I'm not getting into that it wasn't good for her. The best thing for her is to sit tight. You know, even if she doesn't get the money from the kids, don't leave. At least she has a manageable overhead. She had manageable costs and figures. And, again, you know, that is called enabling. That is when you enable someone with an addiction to to stay in their addiction. You're not helping them. You're hurting them. And you know what What? What story, uh, what do they call those? Um, what's it? Uh, What's in it, uh, a story? What do a, they call those? A parable? A parable? Well, a parable, there's another. Uh, isn't no. there an, an, an antidote? antidote? A, 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 yeah, an anecdote, yes. Anecdote, okay, or a parallel. Or a par, parable. Yeah, okay. But I told her this anecdote, because a lot of times people, if they can visualize something, I know a few people like weren't able to visualize, but she was visualizing, and I, and I wanted her to see what we were talking about. And so I said to her, are you aware of, a cicada. Do you know what a cicada is, Lambert? Uh, yes, it's one of those uh, f- big flies. <laughs> big flies. <laughs> they sit on trees during the summer and they make all sorts of buzz. It's a summer sound. Yeah, and every 17 years, they come out every every year, but every 17 years there's like hordes of them coming out of the ground. Yes. Okay, that's the yeah, 17 mass, year. Massive mouth. Massive mouth. Okay, but yes, they they they're in the ground, so, and they come out. They're they're little larvae. They climb up the bark of a tree, usually or something, whatever they're by, and they climb up. And what do they do? They 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 attach themselves at some point, and their shell hardens. Correct. Yes. And they're actually pretty scary looking bugs. Okay, especially the hardened shell. And if you sit there and watch this hardened shell, what happens? Well, they begin to emerge, just like a cocoon of a of a, a butterfly or, or a moth or something. But they start to emerge, and how do they do it? They squeeze themselves through a slit in the top of their, whatever they call that, uh, chrysalis, whatever their shell is. Yeah, the okay? shell. Okay, the shell mm-hmm. is secured. What? Yes. Okay, so they're squeezing themselves out. Now, imagine this lady watching this bug, and her empathy or sympathy for this bug 
consumes her and says, oh, this poor bug. And you can see it as it's trying to squeeze its way out. It's, it's wiggling and it's shaking and it's struggling and it looks painful. And I said, and what if you wanted to help it? What would you do? She goes, well, I'd peel back the uh, shell so it can get out easier. And I said, and that would help it, wouldn't it? And it would be able to get out and clear the shell. And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, but you know what? If you did that, you would condemn it to death. She goes, what are you talking about? I wouldn't hurt it. I just would be helping it. She goes, I go, no, because it squeezes itself out of the chrysalis. As it's squeezing, it's forcing liquid in parts of its body into the wings of its body. So the wings expand. And when it gets out of the wings are expanded and they dry in place. Okay? But if you help it out of the chrysalis and it doesn't go through that squeezing process, the wings never develop and they stay shredded. And that that larvae is out and alive going, ah, I'm free and I didn't have to struggle. And he's looking at his buddies up in the air going, hey, they're flying around. He goes, hey, let me catch up with you. And he goes, and he's not going nowhere. He goes, hey, I want to have some sex with you. And they're like, well, come up here and fly with us. He goes, but I can't get up there. Will you come down and have sex with me? And they're like, no, we have to fly. So it condemns this this poor bug to death because it can't do anything. It can crawl around, but it can't fly. It can't fly to find food. It can't fly to find a mate. It is condemned to die. And that's what she's doing with her kids. When she dies, I said, what's going to happen when she dies? She goes, oh, my God, I'm so worried about that. Why? They're not worried about it themselves now. You're you're in, enabling, hurting these people. She's hurting her kids ultimately. And I said, is that what you want to do? And she goes, no, I, I want to help them. And I said, then tell them. Start paying rent or get out. And I do that a lot. I say that a lot. I, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. People need to hear the truth. That's one thing that I try to bring to every aspect of what I do is the truth, okay? People don't like to hear the truth, but they need to hear the truth. We we all say we want to hear the truth. Lambert, do you like the truth or don't you? I like the truth. I do. Okay. I but want to know what's going on. It's not thing to handle, is it? No, it isn't. No, sometimes, especially when it's about yourself, a self-analysis, somebody else is criticizing by being truthful about yourself. That's hard. Sometimes you squirm and you don't really want to hear it. (laughs) Well, and again, if people don't want to hear it, what do they do? They usually avoid the person that's being truthful. Okay? And that's the realities of. We, we, We sometimes, all of us, we go to hear who's going to tell us what we want to hear, not what we don't want to hear. It's like getting a second or third opinion from a doctor. You're going to die. Well, you should check it out with another doctor and another doctor and another doctor. And will you? Maybe. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't want to get some help. And that is important. I'm looking at my aquarium here. And I'm looking at this one well, fish, and I got a couple of fish that got some bugs on them, and it's bugging me. Oh well. 
Well, these, these children of this these children of this woman um, are are they part of an addiction issue, and are they manipulators? Well, I, again, I can't they, tell you I know firsthand. All I can tell you is what I know. I met him. She, yeah, okay. She's like a real nice guy. She told me that he is bipolar, and that he has problems with. He still uses drugs. So, if you got bipolar, baby then you should only be taking the drugs that are prescribed and nothing else. You shouldn't be drinking, nothing else. But, see, that's the problem. When people are prescribed as bipolar, they think, well, what's the big deal? I'm just drinking a little. Hello? You're, you're not mm. letting the medications work if you're, if you're counterbalancing with alcohol. It's that simple. You, you, know, you, you can't self-medicate. And, and expect results if you're getting help from a doctor. You have to listen to what the doctor tells you, or the counselor, or the therapist. It says here in this material you gave me, addiction as a lack of courage. It has been suggested that some people fall into substance abuse due to a lack of courage. This is because they will often be using alcohol and drugs as a means to avoid dealing with the realities of being alive. This girl that's hiding in her bedroom, she doesn't want to come out because she's afraid she can't live like the rest of the people. But there are many people, and I'd hate to be her, but there are many people that live good lives in a wheelchair. They don't give up. Yes, that's courage to face the unknown. The addict mistakenly believes that by becoming intoxicated, they are escaping their problems, but they are just adding to them. Any reprieve that that substance abuser enjoys will only be temporary, and they will usually pay a heavy price for it. The misery of addiction makes life unbearable. In order for this individual to escape their suffering, they will need to summon up some courage. Now, we talked about it. Pain is, is, is an absolute necessity. We need to face pain to grow. But misery is a choice. That's an option that if we want to live in misery, we don't have to unless we allow ourselves to. And that's not a good thing. I didn't want misery, okay? I didn't want it. I was tired of misery. I wanted to face the pain, get through it. It's like pulling a bandage off of you. If you pull it off slowly, does it hurt? Of course it does. And if you pull it off quickly, it hurts, but it's over, it's not elongated. It's not It's not extended. You do it, one, two, three, boom, get it, let's go, move on. And the the, uh, the program of recovery through alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, there's no special secret, anything. We go and we share our personal experience, strength, and hope. We talk about our life right at the moment. We talk about some of the things that we went through and how we overcame them or how we fell prey to them or whatever. But we learn and we grow. And everybody gets a chance to express themselves at a meeting. Some do it well, some do it poorly, but with progress. It's not perfection, it's progress. Some people don't talk at all because they don't, they're afraid to talk. They don't want to hear themselves speak consciously. They've been talking to themselves in their head for years. 
some of them know that some of the things that comes out of her mouth is crazy. And they don't want anybody else to hear it. Some of them think that everything that comes out of their mouth is crazy. And that's not necessarily true. Again, one day, one step at a time. It's a weed program. And it works if you work it. And it work it sober. If you work it sober, that's the most important thing. Work it sober. Right? That sounds good. Well, it is real. <coughs> Excuse me. No, I don't have the coronavirus. I, you know what? Yeah. About a year and a half ago, I was, yeah, inhaling vitamins and and. By accident, I inhaled when I shouldn't. You know, that's that breathing problem I told you I have. But I inhaled instead of waiting till I had a mouthful of water. I inhaled my vitamins, and one of them stuck in my throat, and I could not get oh. it down. I couldn't swallow it. Oh, my God. And it caused me... Scared. Well, yeah, I kept coughing and gagging, and 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 it was interfering with me breathing and with me eating everything. I couldn't, I it got to a part I couldn't drink enough liquids to get it to go down. It was just like cemented to my throat, and I ended up going to the emergency room to see if the doctor could do something, poke it down. It took me four hours waiting in line to get to the doctor. Five minutes before the doctor showed up, it went down. <laughs> but it just Jeez. left my sore. It left my my throat very sore, and he gave me something for that. But since then, it's like there's a raw spot in my throat that things get caught in. I don't know. Maybe it's just in my imagination. But I was coughing all day today because I was when I was making that sausage. I was cooking it, and I I ate some and swallowed it the wrong way or something. And it was causing me to cough. And my neighbor goes, what, you got coronavirus? I'm like, no, I don't. No. I just had a cough, a tickle in my throat. But these days you can't even do that without being called out for, you know, having coronavirus. Well, the, nor- the normal normal things this time of year, too, there are, are a lot of allergies from tree pollen, especially right now, and starting to increase a little bit on grass pollens. Had to mow the first time today. And, yeah, a lot of normal stuff happens, but we're so afraid right now that you don't know. I know other people are thinking, uh-oh, this, is, this doesn't sound good, but it's just a normal thing. And as far as swallowing pills, you're right. You've got to kind of uh, grease the rails. I always take a, some water first because you've got a lot of sticky mucus. And some of those pills have... Uh, uh, you know, gelatin or, or a coating on them, and they'll get, they'll kind of almost get glued against the side of your throat with that mucus. And yeah, it takes a long time to dissolve and melt it off again. Yeah, I'm sure glad that worked out okay, because I know that can be an issue, especially on the large pills. Some of oh, them are really hard yeah. to get past. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I swallow like 14 pills. A day. Now, a lot of them are, well, you know, I have metformin because I'm a type 2 diabetic and I have high blood pressure and and cholesterol, so I have those. But I have some nutritional supplements that I take as well and fish oil. And so I group them. 
I get them in my mouth. I make sure that they're all coated with water. I take a mouthful of water, swig, and then I swallow them all at the same time, and they, they go down. It's just that I didn't take a swig that one time, and as I put them in my mouth, I actually took an inhaled through my mouth, and one of them shot down and stuck. Oh, that was tough. It was tough. Scary. And with that knowledge, I, I try to slow down to do it, you know, to, something simple as swallowing a pill. Oh, God. Oh, well, God. Just proves you have to be careful with everything we do. Pay attention yep. and do it right. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really, that is true. Now, hey, I want to read some more about this. Why uh, reasons why courage is needed in recovery, okay? There is no doubt that entering recovery is a courageous move. Change is never easy, even when it means that people are leaving a miserable situation for a much better one. It's it's not easy. Change is so difficult. We are so comfortable in our misery sometimes that we are so afraid to face the pain of growth. To embrace changes takes courage, and this mental attribute will also be required more in recovery because recovery is usually described as a process and not an event. Becoming sober is just the first step, and there will be plenty more challenges ahead. Oh, so true. Once people become sober, they will be forced to face the wreckage of their past, and this takes courage. The inspirational martial artist Bruce Lee observed that mistakes are always forgivable. If one has the courage to admit them, people can and do move on from the mistakes of the past all the time. The individual will need to, de- yeah, we're, you know, and usually we are the worst ones that, that beat ourselves up the most about our, our, we need to forgive ourselves the most is what I'm saying. Okay, the, the individual will need to develop the willingness to face life and not try to run away when things get hard. If people fail to do this, they might relapse or fall into mal, maladaptive behaviors as a means to cope. See, it's not enough to just stop drinking. I mean, some people, hey, if you stop drinking, that's a good thing, okay, because you won't create the problems of the, that you did in the past. But it's not enough for me. I had to go for and do more and, and work on my my thinking. I had to get my thinking straight. It was some stinking thinking that needed a lot of adjustment. Most of those who fall into substance abuse will have character traits which bring them into conflict with other people. For example, they may pr- be prone to impulsive behavior. Once sh- once the person becomes sober, they will need to, to, to courage to begin overcoming these character flaws. And there's a step that addresses that in the 12 steps. And that hmm. is, I think, the seventh step. Hold on one second. How it works. Let me go. Seven. Yeah. Number six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And number seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Yeah, I mean, this program addresses everything that we're talking about here to have a better and happier life and to grow. Now, there will be, there will likely be days in early recovery when giving into the addiction seems appealing. It will take guts and determination to stay sober on such days. And we encourage people to try to stay sober for 90 days. 90 minutes, 
90 meetings, I'm sorry, 90 meetings in 90 days. If you go to a meeting every day, there's a good chance you're going to stay sober those 90 days. If you have to go to more, I went to 120 because there were days I had to go three times because I really wanted to drink. And when you want to drink, the best thing to do is go to a meeting because you won't drink at a meeting. You might drink getting in or going out, but you won't drink usually at the meeting. So that's what I did. But after 90 days, we tell people that if after 90 days you still want to drink, we will gladly refund your pain and misery that you had. And and that's the truth. If you want that crap back in your life, it's all yours. Nobody's going to take it. Mm-hmm. You can have it. Admitting to the wrongs of the past takes courage. Emotional sobriety means always being willy, willing to admit to being wrong. And that's a tough thing because we are caught up in our pride and ego. Okay, we hide thinking, you know, that we are right and and that it's not true. If And again, sometimes apologizing even when we are wrong is the right thing to do. How about that? Ah, that takes some courage. Okay. Uh, okay, when people become sober, they can begin to achieve their dreams, but they will always, they will have to work to make them a reality. Walt Disney once remarked that all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. When people become sober, they can begin to achieve their dreams, but they will have to work to make them a reality. And that's true. See, I had to get rid of expectations. Well, maybe, I don't know, let's, Let's talk, what do we want to talk about next week? I do. Let's see, the expectations. That's a good thing, I think. Let's talk about the difference between expectations and hopes, okay? That would be a good okay. thing. Okay. How to develop courage. Because you know what? When we're coming out of this coronavirus thing, you know, what are expectations? What are hopes? What should we have, expectations or hopes? And I would venture a guess that we should all have hopes because – if they don't happen, we can live with and adjust ourselves with hopes. But if we have expectations and they don't work out, we get very angry and frustrated. But we'll talk about that more next week. Um, how to dis- develop courage in recovery. People can learn to be more courageous in life. It is a skill that people can develop by, number one, understanding that courage does not mean absence of fear. It means taking action despite the fear. Two, if people develop a beginner's mind, it should mean that they are more open to new experience. Beginner's minds mean approaching new experiences without too many preconceived judgments and biases. Number four, these, those are individuals who are conscientious and willing to take on responsibility tend to show more courage when called upon to do so. The willingness to take on more responsibility and recovery will therefore help the individual grow and become more courageous. Five, cognitive behavioral therapy can help people develop an internal focus or low focus of control. This means that they will feel more confident when faced by challenges. Six practices like meditation are also good for developing confidence and a sense of mastery in life. Mindfulness meditation can mean that the individual becomes less of a slave to their thoughts and to those who are newly sober tend to have low self-esteem. And, uh, well, oh, 
thoughts, and fears. I'm sorry. Those who are newly sober tend to have low self-esteem, which in turn leads to low self-efficacy. The self-belief that the individual has in their ability to achieve things, the person can increase their own self-esteem by setting themselves small challenges and achieving them until they are ready to face bigger ones. So, again, this has been great. You provided all this material, Lambert, about courage, and there's still a couple more pages, but this was very helpful. Well, it still comes around to your statement, though. It's all about your action. You're responsible, and you need to do action in order to take the first forward progress toward toward this mission. And that's pretty much what courage is and, and what you just read. Basically, it's action-based. It is action-based. And here, I'll give you another anecdote. Anecdote? Anecdote? Anecdote. Parable, whatever. I, I got a question, okay? There were three frogs that were sitting on a log, okay? Imagine that, a, a log with three frogs sitting on a log in a pond, okay? Got it? Got it. Two of the frogs decided to jump into the water. How many are left? Left on the log? Left. Uh, left on the log. That's correct. One. You would think so, because that's well. Yes. Because the two made a decision to jump into the water, didn't they? Correct. But they didn't act on it. They just decided to do it, but they didn't act on it. And that's the problem with a lot of people. They make decisions so three, to do things. What? Yeah, so all three were still on the log. The others were deciding log. it. Yeah. That's right. Because two decided to do it, but they just didn't act on it. They go, well, I want this. I want, to do, I want this in my life. I want to do that in my life. I want to be sober, but I don't want to go through the work of being sober. I want all the benefits of being sober. I want a good life, and I'll be, I want a wonderful spouse. I want a great job, but I'm, I'm not willing to go through the work to do it. And see, that's the problem that we have is into action. That's why the, the chapter of the program of recovery is called Into Action. I love it. And this is my favorite thing to read. I'm going to read it here, okay, Lim? Okay. Because this is how the program works. This is how the program starts every meeting. Every meeting, for the most part, and you could customize the meeting any way you want, but the meetings I attend, these are generally what, what happens, Okay. But it goes on. It goes, rarely has it, have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program, usually men and women, who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. 
And some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with, and in this instance, alcohol, but it could be any addiction. You could say sex abuse, food, gambling, anything. Okay? And if we we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us, but there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are other steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over, and then again put your addiction in there, and that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And that's the step that got me to come back to the program. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Number 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying for only knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. That A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. How about that? Wow, that's powerful. Holy mackerel. That's a total breakdown. It's, a, it's an absolute cleansing. That's a process that, that has got to be extraordinary. Like the chrysalis, like, like you explained, it's the, uh, it's a cicada uh, becoming renewed, becoming something different, the butterfly um, going through that process. Well, that's amazing. Well, and it's just a, it's so simple, and that's why I enjoy reading that more than anything that we read. Is because it's that's how simple this program is. It's a simple program for complicated people, 
In fact, that's where the acronym, you ever see the acronym K-I-S-S come from? K-I-S-S? K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, keep stupid? It. Yeah, keep, keep it simple, it simple stupid. stupid. Yeah. yeah, it's like don't make it complicated. It's a simple program for complicated people. We always try. I can't tell you how many people I've met, including myself at one point, thinking that, well, I can improve on the 12 steps. Oh, I could change it and make a certain program for this and for that. But you know what? This is a one-size-fits-all program to anybody, anyone working in addiction. And that's one of the reasons why we do this show, why I do this show, because I know how I benefit from having it. And I just want the same from people to have and enjoy a better life, if so they want, one day, one step at a time, okay? And it can be done. It's not that complicated. It really isn't that complicated. We just make it complicated because we're too caught up in our egos, pride and egos. We don't know how to be humble. Again, imagine being put on a pedestal, okay? Just remember, that's what I always remind myself, is that no matter how high that pedestal is, I will fall, and when I fall from a height, I'll get hurt. So I try to stay humble so I don't get too high on a pedestal because I know I'm going to fall. I just don't want to fall hard and get hurt. Okay. That's amazing. Well, (laughs) we've had a great show tonight. I appreciate that. Like I said, you you know, I know you, you question why I want you to be part of this show, but you know, you bring a, a, a valuable aspect to the show, and that's your questions and your comments and what your beliefs are, some of which I support, some of which I don't, but that's okay. They're your your belief systems, and, and people of the world out there need to hear yours and mine and decide which one they want. It's all about giving people choices on what they want to believe and understand, and they could believe and understand you, and if they do, that's okay. If it works for them, that's good. And if they believe and understand me, fine. Maybe it won't work, and maybe yours is the way to go. I don't know, but see, having those choices is important. Asking those questions, we are able to address some of those things that somebody else in the listening audience would like to ask but don't have the courage to pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, Dan, I meant to ask you this. I meant to, and I've had people over it. We've been doing this eight years. I've been doing this eight years. I probably missed six or seven times in eight years. That's how important this this program is to me. And this Internet program is, is important to every aspect of my life. Because I, I when I drink, I drank for a lot of reasons. I drank because... I was insecure about who I was as an individual. I wasn't tall enough. I wasn't, uh, my hair wasn't full enough and dark enough, and I wasn't uh, good-looking enough, and I didn't have enough money, and I didn't have an incredible personality, and blah, 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 blah. And guess what? I'm still that same person. But today I can accept myself for who I am. In fact, I have less hair now than before, and I'm still short. But you know what? That didn't stop me from meeting a wonderful person. It didn't stop me from having great friends like you. I'm looking at a picture of my wedding here. My my wife and I, her three daughters, and my three groomsmen, you, Marvin, and uh, Steve-O. And that was a great day for my life. That was a, it was a day that, that 
was very special, and I get to look at that picture every day sitting on my desk. It's great. And, uh, you know, life just keeps getting, it really does, it keeps getting better and better, and all I have to do is to stay sober and do the next right thing. That's the other thing, is to do the next right thing. And we intuitively know what the next right thing is. That's the cool thing. It's not like, what's the next right thing? The next right thing is something we know what to do. Do we want to do it? Not necessarily. I'm not going to tell you, that, oh, yeah, I love to do all this. No, but I know what it is, the right thing to do, and I will do my best to do what I can. Right? Mm-hmm. So what? Our topic next week, what do we say our topic's gonna to be about? Expectations? Okay, I gotta write that hope. down because I gotta hope come up and with expectations. A... Hope and hope, hope did you and, say? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We hope, were hope, hope and expectations. Okay. Well that's good. And you know what? If anybody would like to be a guest on this show, we're always looking for people to come on and share their experience, strength and hope. Uh, that would be great. Call me in advance. I'd love to have you on. I'm trying to get this young lady who wrote a book. It's a tough read book. I read about, oh, I don't know, 30 pages. Uh, she, uh, uh, I don't know I don't know if the word channels, but she, she uh, interprets or speaks on behalf of St. Gabriel, the archangel. And she wrote this book, and i got to tell you something. It, it's a complex book that I don't know just anybody could have wrote, and she wrote it, and, you know, uh, it's deep. It's very deep. And I I told her I would love for her to come on the show. What for? I don't know, just to see what message that, you know, Gabriel would have. Do I believe that it? she's talking to Gabriel? I believe that she is inspired by something of a spiritual basis, and why not? Why wouldn't we want to hear it, especially if she's got some good things to share with us, right? So yeah, uh, we're gonna work on getting her to be on the show. There's a, you know, again, I, I meet a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I want to be on your show, but when the time comes for them to be on the show, they find excuses and they don't want to come on. It's not the easiest thing, but you know, everybody, everybody that's been on the show always says what a great, how good it feels. How do you feel being on the show, Lamp? Well, it's interesting because I'm learning so much, Dan. I'm kind of uh, an outsider. I've never been addicted to anything, although I have had issues in my life, of course. I mean, a lot of people have, and and you you default to, you know, hiding from that issue or problem temporarily, maybe. Uh, You know, but I'm finding out a lot more about understanding uh, the path, the road to recovery, and uh, okay, more, we've got to wrap it up. You. We're gonna, we're, okay, okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go off the air in about thirty seconds. So I want to say thank you for being part of the show. Uh, we just had somebody sign on and hang up. <laughs> okay, but thanks for doing that, folks. We'll be back next week with more of the Road to Recovery here on Blog Talk Radio, part of the Link Local Network of Broadcasting. Have a great week, unless you have other plans. Practice uh, physical distancing, but socially, get on the phone and call a friend, go on Zoom, talk to people, reach out and touch someone. Lambert, have a good week. You and I will talk again, and say good night. Thanks, (laughs) Dan. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.
Whew, and I sneeze. No, and I don't have COVID. Okay, bye. <laughs>